Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. The message this morning is is God Speaks. In our Experiencing God study, God Speaks was a uh, two-week unit. Uh, God Speaks part one, God Speaks part two. No, this is not part two of last week's sermon. Uh, At least not maybe the way you might be thinking it could be. Uh, John 5, we're actually going to... Look at verses 19 and 20 this morning as we, uh, as, as we look through this passage and examine it in relation to us hearing God speak. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of experiencing God, both the reality of experiencing God and the study we're doing, experiencing God. The whole purpose, the whole point is for us to hear God when He speaks. More accurately, though, what we talk about is seeing God at work and joining Him there. And then we'll talk about that a little bit, too. Uh, I think I brought this up a few weeks ago, apprenticeship. Uh, I talked about apprenticeship once and, and mentioned it. This morning, it goes with the sermon even better than, I think, what I brought up last time. It, apprenticeship used to be extremely common. You didn't go to college. You didn't go to a trade school. Uh, you worked with somebody who already did the work, and you learned from them. That was how you learned any trade. Uh, and, and it makes sense. How do, we, how do we learn to walk as we grow up? Well, our parents show us how to walk. And how, how do we learn to uh, brush our teeth? How do we learn to tie our shoes? It, it's, life is an apprenticeship. But, you know, some folks would stop it whatever age, and, and, and maybe not learn anything. That would have made for a difficult life. Well, we do it automatically as children, and used to, when you wanted a career, that was how you did it. An apprentice, by definition, uh, is a person who works for another in order to learn a trade. But a, a historical definition is a person legally bound through indenture to a master craftsman in order to learn a trade. Now, that phrase, that definition, uh, goes more toward uh, what we're used to with uh, apprenticeship. Now, I know in, in a number of trades today, there are apprentices. There are apprenticeships. You, you, I think I talked about last time, you, you, an electrician often begins that way, and plumbers begin that way even, even today. Uh, you have to spend time under someone else to, to get your various certifications, if I understand it correctly. But, but this idea, this, this phrase of uh, bound through indenture. Now, if you remember your American history, uh, then you remember, uh, you should remember indentured servants. That was something we learned in American history in 7th grade, 8th grade, uh, ninth grade, whenever you took it. Indentured servants would legally, wouldn't quite sell themselves. They, it was a, a step above slavery. But for a certain number of years, they would, for all intents and purposes, be owned by this, this master craftsman. And this indentured servitude, they would work a certain number of years, and they would get room and board maybe, and, and maybe a small salary, but probably not until they could pay off their servitude, their indentured servitude. And it might be they had to do it because of a criminal act, or maybe they did it uh, so they could come to America from another country. 
Uh, that's what indentured servitude was. But apprenticeship often carried this indentured servitude with it, this idea of almost but not quite being owned by the one who is teaching you what to do. Now, if we keep that image in mind as we move through this passage, we will understand better what it means to watch what God is doing and join him there. Jesus uh, likely apprenticed under Joseph. I only say likely because we just don't, the Bible doesn't say he did. But Jesus was a carpenter, so chances are Joseph was a carpenter too. That's how the trades were passed down. And Jesus grew up in Joseph's carpenter shop, learning how to do all the things by first watching Joseph do it, and then gradually uh, Jesus was allowed to use this tool and that tool and told, put the tools up when you get done with them. And uh, gradually he learned how to be a carpenter. Interestingly enough, in this passage, verses 19 and 20, really uh, the, the, the theme, the, the speech by Jesus uh, goes all the way through the end of chapter 5, uh, verse 47. And throughout the whole thing, he is using the, la the language of apprenticeship. The, the image that we have here as Jesus talks about what he does with God, how he knows what to do next, is the language that would have, used, would have been used by an apprentice, putting himself under the master craftsman, watching everything that is done, only doing what he is told, and also only doing what he has seen be done. Uh, an electrician in today's uh, times, uh, an apprentice to an electrician would sit, would sit under that uh, electrician, watch everything he is doing, but he wouldn't, after watching the electrician, go off and mess with the sewer line because he didn't see the electrician mess with the sewer line. That wasn't what he saw his, uh, his master craftsman, his, the one in charge of him, doing. Well, Jesus uses this language to show us that he watched what his father did and he copied him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what we're going to get from this passage. Verses, uh, John 5, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. That verse, 519, is our memory verse for this week, uh, if you're doing Experiencing God. Um, and if you are in the e-groups for Sunday night, you've got about five hours to memorize that. Uh, but work on it at lunch, not right now. So Jesus tells him, I am... I'm watching everything that's going on. I'm watching what God is doing, and that's what I do. Well, we need to understand uh, the, the context a little bit here of this passage. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the temple uh, for a festival, and he's healed a lame man on the Sabbath, which was kind of a no-no anyway. They, they, the, the Pharisees would get a little upset with him just for doing that. But then... Horror of horrors, uh, the man picked up his mat and carried it on the Sabbath. So he did work on the Sabbath. Now, interesting uh, about the, the Sabbath laws, 
uh, you could pick up something light. That was okay on the Sabbath. You, you, you know you might have to, you, you know, if you eat on the Sabbath, you're picking something up. But the rule was you couldn't lift anything above your head. That's work. Lift it here, that's all right. Here, nope, you worked and you broke the Sabbath, okay? The other problem was, the, the, the other law, the traditional law, was that you could not take something from one region and carry it to an area defined as another region. Now, what did that exactly mean? Well, if you had to carry the baby and put it down for a nap, you, I guess you could carry it from room to room. But the Pharisees were upset because this man picked up his mat. It would have been, I mean, we would have struggled to call this thing a mat. It would have been a very thin layer of woven reeds. That was the, kind of the homeless person's blanket. It was about all he had. So it would have been very light. He probably wouldn't have carried it over his head. But because he carried it from outside the temple and then carried it home, well, he had changed regions. So he had broken the Sabbath. So the Pharisees were upset about that. And they were going to first go after the, the, the man for doing that. How dare you carry your mat like that? And the man said, I just did what the dude told me. And the Pharisees said, well, what dude are you talking about? And he said, I don't know. He left right after he did it. And, but later on that day, or later on at some point, Jesus ran into the, the now no longer lame man, and they had a conversation, and the Pharisees said, oh, that's who it is. Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, all right, we got it. We'll, we'll take it from here. So they began to persecute Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. It was his fault the man had gotten up and walked and carried his mat. So Jesus tells them in verse 17... Uh, I, I believe, let me look, I said that out loud and before I thought, yep, uh, tells them in verse 17, my father is still working. So Jesus says, I will continue to work. As long as God's working, I'm going to work. It doesn't matter the day or the time. And, and there's a hint of this. God is, Jesus is actually taking the Pharisees' own knowledge of Scripture where God said at creation... Uh, he worked for six days and then he rested. Well, if we all read that, we notice there's not a, a, another a first day of the week again. So, it, technically, God has been working on the Sabbath ever since he stopped creating the world, according to what we have in Genesis. That's the, the, kind of the, the uh, idea Jesus is going with here, saying God's been working ever since he rested. So... I'm going to work too. And in doing this, in verse 17, he says explicitly, verses 19 through 20 and a lot of the following verses, he will say, the Father, the Father, the Father. But in verse 17, he says, Jesus responded to them, my Father. Now, it wasn't unheard of for Jews to refer to God as my Father. They would do it regularly, but they would always add a qualifier to the end of that. My Father in heaven, my Father above, my Father uh, who is God, my Father who is something. They, they would, a qualifier so you knew they weren't talking about their earthly dad, they were talking about their heavenly Father. Jesus adds no qualifier. So what the Pharisees immediately know is that Jesus is making himself equal with God. Because everybody knew that the son, once he receives the inheritance, once uh, he is allowed to, to lead the family business, he is equal to the father. Well, 
That's what Jesus is doing here. And so in verse 19, after all this stuff has started, verse 18 tells us this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. And then we get to our verse, our verse, focal verse this morning. Notice they didn't ask a question. Verse 19 begins with Jesus replied, or Jesus said to them. There was no question that they asked. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Of course, he knew what they were doing because they had set out to persecute him, and now they were looking to kill him. But he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were plotting and planning. So Jesus answers the questions that they didn't ask, but they thought. In verse 19, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. Jesus begins in 17 to speak of his eternal equality with God. In verse 19, he speaks of his functional subordination to God. Now we're going to talk about, uh, you know, I've said a bunch of times, about the, the Trinity, but I'm not preaching on that this week. The Trinity's like this, but I'm not going to preach on that this week. Well, today, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Eternal equality. Jesus has always been equal with God. There has always been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, in eternity past, I don't believe, existed as a human. He wasn't the Jesus we knew on earth. He was the Son in heaven, wherever that is, with God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, have always existed. They have always been one yet distinct. I'm not going to explain that. That's for another sermon. Uh, but they have always been that way. Now, when Jesus was incarnate, incarnated, and even prior to that, though they were equal, though they were distinct yet equal, distinct yet the same, there was a functional subordination. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit has a job, and the Son has a job, and the Father has a job. But the jobs of the Holy Spirit and the Son are functionally subordinate to the Father, but not subordinate in reality. They are equal. They are on a level plane in their existence, in their pre-existence, in their power, in their divinity. In every way they are equal, yet the Holy Spirit and the Son functionally subordinate themselves to the Father. Now, if your brain doesn't hurt yet, let's move to the next point that Jesus makes clear in what he's saying here. And I have talked to you about this before, but we're going to talk about it a little bit more. The fact that Jesus voluntarily set aside the independent use of his divine attributes. I've talked about that before. When I say things like, uh, Jesus didn't know who it was that touched his robe. Why didn't he know? He was God. Yes, but as God, as the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he had voluntarily set aside the independent use of his divine attributes. So at that moment, he didn't know because God had not told him yet. He had to turn around and ask, who touched me? 
the times when he knows what people are thinking. For example, when the four men let the uh, paralyzed man down through the roof and he tells the man, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are over here in the corner saying, how does this man thinking? How does this man uh, forgive sins? And it tells us that Jesus perceiving their thoughts. How did Jesus perceive their thoughts? Because God allowed him to perceive their thoughts in that moment. He got his divine attributes or got the use of his divine attributes at the whim, at the will of the Father to whom Jesus was functionally subordinate. Now, I'm telling you all of these things because it's important to how we look at this verse. Because Jesus voluntarily set aside the independent use of his divine attributes, we can uh, recognize three uh, uh, truths from this passage. First, he was completely dependent on God for direction. Jesus The Son incarnate was completely dependent upon God for his direction. Jesus says he didn't do anything of his own will. And he says this multiple times, not just in this passage, but in numerous passages, especially in John. He was completely dependent on God for a direction. He did not choose what he was going to do. He only did what God told him to, or in this case, what he saw God do. The only connection Jesus had to God was prayer. That's all he had. We, we think, at least I have, y'all are more spiritual than me, we think that he had this divine connection, so, and he did, but it was like this open network, this, this constant uh, Google search engine with God so that he, he always knew exactly what God was saying. He was fully divine while he was here. He was fully divine, but he set aside the free use or the independent use of that divinity. So when God, Jesus wanted to know what God was thinking, Jesus had to pray. And he had to wait for an answer from God. Whether he gave him that answer immediately in prayer or later on, we don't know. But in order to know what God wanted, Jesus had to pray, and that was all he had. He also had Old Testament Scripture. He knew that as well, uh, so he could go to that. But he, in, as far as knowing what God was doing, he only had prayer. And yet, Jesus knew perfectly what he should do in every situation. Now, I want you to remember that as well, because we're going to come back to that point a little bit, a little later as we uh, work through the passage. In every situation, Jesus knew perfectly what to do, and he knew that because and only because he prayed. Or, as this passage says, he sees what the Father is doing. So let's look at that little phrase there uh, in verse 19. Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. Everything God was doing was clear and obvious to Jesus. He had no supernatural sight. He didn't have some spiritual x-ray vision so that he looked at everybody. He knew everybody's thoughts immediately and what they were thinking and what they were doing. He didn't have that. He was dependent completely on God to tell him what he needed to know. And yet, in every situation, Jesus knew exactly what he was supposed to do. It was clear and obvious to him. Why? Because he had prayed. Because he had spent time with the Father. A lot of time with the Father. 
And one of the things Henry Blackaby talks about uh, back on, uh, I'm not sure what week it was, but it's page 84 in your Experiencing God book. Why I remember that number, I don't know, but it's, that's where it is. There are things only God can do. So we can see those same works of God. We can see those same things that God is doing just like Jesus did. Because there are things we can see going on around us that only happen because God is doing them. And there were six things that Blackaby pointed out. Only God can draw people to himself. Only God can cause people to seek him. Only God can reveal spiritual truth. Only God can convict the world of guilt about sin. Only God can convict the world of righteousness. And only God can convict the world of judgment. So when I stand up, in here, stand up here and preach on sin, it is not me convicting. I can't convict any of you. I can't make any of you feel bad about your sin. I can't make any of you feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit. I, I can't cause any of you to seek God. If any of those things happen, including the others on here, it's because God is doing that in your heart. Blackaby makes the point that that's what we look for. If we're wondering who we should talk to or what we should say to someone, we listen we, we pray before, long before we get there, God, show me something. Show me where you're working today. And the examples that he would use in the book would be somebody come to work, uh, come and talk to you at work and say, I'm really struggling in, with my family right now. And I, I, I don't know if I'm doing what I need to do. Well, now, does the Bible tell us what, how we should live as a family? Yes, thank you. That wasn't rhetorical. Maybe it seemed like it was. So if it, if it does... Do we have the answers to, I don't know if I'm doing things right? That's not rhetorical either. Okay, we do. So, if someone comes to your office and says, I don't know uh, what I should do about my family. I don't think I'm doing things right. Do you think that is God drawing them to you to seek the answers that only the Bible has? Okay, then. You just saw where God is working. Took no... Uh, uh, special spiritual x-ray vision it just took you being sensitive to what's going on around you those are things god only god can do but there are plenty of other circumstances and one of the we i believe it was day four blackaby talked about uh using circumstances uh, god using circumstances to speak to us he does that so it could be other circumstances in our lives that we see God is working here. I use the example of uh, the better blocks that we tried to do the weekend uh, of, of winter weekend. We saw God working. We saw an opportunity to join him somewhere where folks were, like we said, literally coming to our doorstep. That wasn't uh, when they approached us. It wasn't about their spiritual need. It wasn't uh, uh, a question that they had about some spirituality or an issue in their lives. It was just strictly a circumstance that God said, here's an opportunity for you to be a part of. We have to be aware of those things. But whatever he says, through circumstances, uh, or especially through circumstances, because let's be honest, folks, circumstances can get us in trouble. Uh, I worked at a Christian bookstore way back when, when I was a teenager. And uh, I'm looking for a piece of paper. I was helping a lady 
buy a Bible. And we had some pieces of paper. I think she wanted it uh, monogrammed, the thing on the, the name on the front. So I was writing it down, and when I went to pick up some paper, I, I, I got two or three pieces, and I dropped one, and it just fell. That woman grabbed her heart. <gasps> that was in my dream last night. The paper fallen? That, that, for her, that was a word from the Lord. Folks, that was a piece of paper falling. I mean, it didn't, it didn't land right side up where it said, you know, love Jesus. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't a message on it or anything. It was just a, a piece of paper. That circumstance, I don't think. Now, maybe God used that monumentally in her life, and I just don't know it. But I don't believe that circumstance was God speaking to her. We can, be, we can take circumstances way outside of, of where they, uh, they, the interpretation of circumstances, way outside of where they should be. So we have to be careful. And the way we're careful is those circumstances or what we believe God is saying through those circumstances will not contradict Scripture, and they will be confirmed by the Holy Spirit and other believers. Now, as a believer standing there, I could not confirm that that piece of paper falling meant anything for her. And I have trouble finding anywhere in the Bible where that was a particular way that God spoke. As we're learning, God speaks in many ways. But I struggle with that one, the, the piece of paper speaking to her. But she should have, if that, she truly believed that piece of paper was a message from the Lord, then she should have gone to Scripture. How is that piece of paper speaking to me? What does God say about falling piece of pa pieces of paper in His Scripture and what that means to someone? What does the church around me say about, uh, other believers around me say about falling pieces of paper? And what do I feel the Holy Spirit is leading me to do because of that falling piece of paper? See where I'm going? Those are the ways we approach circumstances and we have to be careful. But we do know that all of these circumstances, there is no coincidence in life. God is always working around us. Verse 17 makes that clear. The, uh, we look back, my father is still working. Or some translations actually say, my father is always working. God is always at work. And Jesus always knew what God was doing. Let me hammer this home. Jesus had no special trick for this. Jesus had no special uh, method. I got whiskers. Sorry. That's what bearded people do. Um, way it is. Uh, he had no insight. He, he didn't have anything other than prayer. What do you have? Prayer. prayer. We have the same tool Jesus has. Jesus related to God the exact same way we would or should. The way that Jesus related to God is the same exact way you and I should relate to God. Prayer. Scripture. Circumstances. The Holy Spirit. That is how God speaks to us. Are you getting this? Are you understanding that we can live the same life, the same spiritual life, the same connectedness to God that Jesus did? 
There's a reason he did that. There's the, the reason he, he was clear, it was important that Jesus only relate to God the way we would be able to relate to God. Because his life was an example, among many other things, his life was an example of how we relate to God. And if he had this special spiritual sight, if, if he had some special trick for understanding what God wanted, only because he was God's son, then how would we have that same insight? How could he tell us to watch what God is doing and join him? How could he tell us to pray like this? Pray to your father and he will do these things. How could he tell us, you will do greater works even than I will? You do remember Jesus said that, right? That, that we, we as believers would do greater things than he did. Then why don't we? Because we don't use the tool we have. Prayer. So, he says, truly I tell you, uh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong spot. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. Jesus was always aware and obedient. And there's never a time God isn't showing you what he's doing. If we are looking with spiritual sight... Not special, you know, x-ray vision spiritual sight, but I'm talking about if we are praying through our day and asking God, show us what you're doing, it'll be like, uh, it was it Elisha's servant or Elijah? I think it's Elisha. When Jerusalem was surrounded by a foreign army, and the servant said, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're all going to die. And Elisha said, no, that's not a problem. God's got it taken care of. And he said, oh, how do you know? How can you see? And Elisha prayed, God, open his eyes to see what I see. And immediately his eyes were opened, and he saw heavenly armies surrounding the army that had come to defeat Israel, the Israelites. His eyes were opened. He had the spiritual sight to see what God is doing. And we could have that every day, all day, and see what that is. See what God is doing, know what he is doing, be aware of it, and be obedient to it. Because when he shows you what he's doing, that's your invitation to join him. That probably is the most repeated sentence in the Experiencing God Bible study. When God shows you what he's doing, that's your invitation to join him. God ain't bragging. When he shows you what he's doing, that's not his opportunity to say, hey, see how good I am? See what I got going on? Aren't you impressed with this? No, that is him saying, join me in that. And we see that with Jesus. When the son saw it, he joined him. Moving on to verse 20. Uh, it says, for the father loves the son. The reason God showed the son is because the father loved him. Wanted him to be a part of what he is doing. Jesus responded in obedience because he loved the Father back. But you know what's interesting? I went in last night, I was working on this, and I, uh, I, I was looking for all the verses that, that says Jesus loved the Father, or the Son loved the Father. And in that way I phrased it, I couldn't find one. Uh, I, well, I, I've forgotten how I phrased it. The only verse I could find that talked about Jesus' love 
for the Father was John 14, 31. And it says, On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. And I got to thinking about that. Over and over and over, the Father loves the Son and the Son obeys the Father. The Father loves the Son and the Son does what the Father is doing. The, the Father loves the Son and the Son hears His voice over and over. But only once did Jesus say, I love the Father. And when He does, He is saying that to show people that He's obedient to the Father. Folks, you say you love God. You say you love Jesus. Are you obedient? Because Jesus makes it pretty clear throughout Scripture that obedience is equal to love. Jesus never had to say, I love the Father, except for that one time I found, and there may be others that I miss, so don't, you know, hold me to all that and don't beat me or anything if I'm wrong. There aren't many. Jesus understood, if you want to know whether I love the Father or not, look and see if I'm doing what he told me to. That's all you have to do to know if I love the Father. Look at your own life. Do you love the Father? Are you doing what He told you to? That's how you know. That love relationship that Jesus had with the Father, or that the Son had with the Father, and the Father had with the Son, is what we should have and what we must have in order to be obedient. We must have a love relationship in order to be obedient. Obedience is our love relationship. If we love the Father, we will be obedient. If we're obedient, then we love the Father. That's just the way it works. And then Jesus goes on to tell the Pharisees, and I think us too at the end of verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He's doing, and He will show Him greater works than those, so that you will be amazed. Believers, those who see our obedience to God when He speaks will be amazed about our God. The, the problem, the, the, the unbelief, I believe, primarily in America, the unbelief toward Christianity, the rejection of Christianity, the, the uh, uh, mockery of Christianity comes because of Christians who claim it but don't obey it. They say one thing, they claim the Father with their lips, and they deny Him with their lives. And people look and say, that's what it is? I can do that on my own. I don't need religion for that. But when people see the Christians are obedient, when people see that Christians allow their faith to lead every decision in their lives, where they live, how they vote, who they love, what they choose, what they do as a career. When they see that, they are amazed. And you know what? You will be too. You will be amazed at what God will do in your life if you obey Him. And let's understand that the purpose of obedience is not to amaze people. The purpose of obedience, our obedience, is to bring glory to God and see the lost come to Jesus. When God tells us to do something, when God shows us what He's doing, and gives us an invitation to join Him, that is not for us. 
That is not to prop me up, make me feel good, or anything like that. That is to bring Him glory and witness to the lost. That's all. There may be other uh, uh, ripple effects, great, wonderful things. Blessed are we when we do these things, certainly. But that is not the purpose. The purpose is to bring glory to God and see the lost come to Jesus. Believers, this morning, you need to understand that you are God's apprentices. You are indentured to him, but in fact, that word indentured is not strong enough to talk about our relationship to God. Some of our translations for years have said servants, but the word is slave. We are owned. We don't have a contract we're going to get out of someday once we've served our time. And that's what you get with indentured servitude. Seven years, ten years, whatever, then you move on. Slavery is forever. We are God's slaves. We are His. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. We aren't allowed to just go willy-nilly, do whatever we want, but we are enslaved for obedience and only obedience. And as apprentices, as those who are watching what God is doing, we then should only do what we see Him doing. And just like Jesus, we can have clarity and uh, confidence in what God's doing if we will spend time with Him in prayer. God is calling unbelievers. If you're here this morning... And you are, because I see you. But this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, if you are an unbeliever, He is calling you to attach yourself to Him. Learn from Him. That's actually a phrase Jesus used. Learn from me. Attach yourself to Him through Jesus Christ. Learn from Him. And then, here's the big point you need to get this morning. All the other stuff you forget, and you can't explain functional subordination over, over your lunch of spaghetti this afternoon. That's okay. What you need to take away is like Jesus, we can always know when God is showing us what he is doing. How do I know what God's will is for my life? Look around. Spend time with him. Know him well enough that you always see him working, and then be obedient as you hear God speak. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning, lost person, about your salvation. About how some of this stuff doesn't make... I never see God work. I've never heard that before. I don't even understand how to have a relationship with God. Let me tell you that you can fix that this morning. On the screen is some information Feel free to read through that, but I want to use an example uh, uh, that we are learning, the staff is currently learning, as we go through a, an evangelism course called uh, Can We Talk? And at least in the fall, but maybe in the summer, uh, we will begin to open that up to uh, the church members. And we will begin to train you in an evangelism strategy. It's uh, similar to others questions to ask, scriptures to learn, but it's simpler than any one I've ever been a part of. The, the way it explains salvation is how I want to present the gospel to you this morning. My left hand is going to be you and me. That, that's, I'll just say me. How about that? Works better. This is me. My phone, and this is an apt analogy for today's society, 
Let's say my phone is a record book of everything I've done, good and bad, sinful and not. Everything is in that record book. And that is my life right there. My right hand is going to represent God. God is up in heaven. We know he's everywhere, but for the the analogy right now, he's up in heaven. The desire for both of us, God and me, is to come together. The problem is that sin divides us. I cannot get past my sin. God will not join me in my sin. So that sin is a problem. And God had to do something about that sin. So what God did was send the Son, became incarnate, lived on the earth. And then Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his his own way. But on the cross, when Jesus got to the cross, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then Jesus took that sin, and he did away with it. The problem is now taken care of. No longer is there sin. Jesus was in the grave three days. He rose 40 days later, 50 days later. He went and stood by God's side. So that's where he is. So notice, there's no more barrier other than space. How do we close up that gap? Sin's not the problem. Now it's you. Will you choose to trust Christ? Will you choose salvation this morning and finish the transaction? The sin is taken care of. But will you choose him and come together and have salvation through Jesus Christ? That's the offer to you this morning. To wipe your sins clean, to uh, have complete forgiveness and eternal life with Jesus Christ. Will you respond today? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that it is not dependent on us to be drawn, to draw ourselves to you, to reach out to you, to turn to you, Lord, but that you draw us. You do the work. You have done the work. And Lord, thank you for offering the opportunity again today for some lost soul to know salvation through your Son. I pray that that person will respond. Those people will respond today. God, as believers, I pray that we would respond to the message that we've heard that like Jesus, we can know exactly what you are doing and join you there. It's not a gimmick, it's not a trick, it's not something Jesus had that we don't. God, it is just a love relationship with you founded on prayer and scripture. And I pray that we would respond to that, Lord, and be used by you. Join you in what you were doing and see you receive the glory and the lost receive salvation. Lord, do a mighty work in this place. Do what only you can do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So God speaks, we respond. How do you respond this morning? Do you need to be saved? Do you want to finish that transaction? Your sin's been forgiven. All you have to do is trust in Jesus and give him your life. Maybe you need, as a believer, to pray to God, God, I want the kind of relationship that Jesus had where through prayer and time with you, I know exactly what you're doing and I never doubt and I always join you there. This is your time to respond. Maybe you have other decisions. 
you'd like to make, they're on the screen. You can come pray with me. You can come pray with Tom. Write them on a connection card and we'll talk to you. But this morning as we sing, you do business with God. Lead us, J.D.